Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Of the Word of God, and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Psalms, Psalm and Psalm 51, Psalm 51. We are continuing with our study of Psalm 51 with the idea of the, the way back to God. And we remember that <laughs> David has committed a sin with Bathsheba and through that sin with Bathsheba has committed uh, a cover-up and then he's committed murder and he has been far away from God. In Psalm 51, we can see as he prepares, or as he's going back to God, that as we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and it cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But here we have his story, his account of what God has done for us. And at the very beginning of this, we see that David has just been admitting that he's a sinner. But now we see something special and unique as this psalm continues on. If you don't mind, turn with me to the book of Psalms, Psalm 51, and we're going to read the psalm all the way through, and then we'll go back and highlight the verses that we'll be teaching on today. If you don't mind, Psalm 51, notice with me starting at verse 1. Psalm 51 and verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mayest, mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me now, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice." Hide thy beautiful, or hide thy face from my sins, and blot out mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, Open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, or else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are of a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, and with burnt offering and whole burnt offering, then that <coughs> they offer bullocks upon thine altar. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Psalm 51 and verse 8? 
Psalm 51 and verse 8. And notice this, what it says in verse 8. It says, the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. The bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. And with this, we're going to put an emphasis on our lesson today about broken bones and beautiful music. Broken bones and beautiful music. Now we know that God speaks to us in three ways. He primarily speaks to us through his word. In fact, any other way that he may speak to us will never counteract his word. His word is the primary way that he speaks to us. A second way that he speaks to us is through other believers. For example, as the preacher preaches, sometimes as he preaches, that you'll hear something and the Holy Spirit inside of you says, that's it, that's it. And God directs us through other believers. A third way that God speaks is through circumstances. It is one of the weaker ways, but it can get our attention. And that's what we're seeing here, is that God has used circumstances to bring David to the place where he recognizes that there's something not right. Again, in verse number 8, it says, Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. So who broke David's bones? Notice who broke his bones. He says, the bones which thou has broken. The bones which thou has broken may rejoice. Who broke David's bones? God broke his bones. Has God broken your bones? Well, if he has, then you can no longer hear gladness and joy. What do I mean by that? Well, scientists have told us that inside of our head, we have uh, bones that allow us to hear. Uh, thousands of years before G or Jesus was there, date, God had recorded this in Psalm 51, that there are bones. There are bones inside of your ear. And inside of your ear, or below your ear, there are empty cavities that go through your face. This is why when you speak, what happens <laughs> is those bones will move and you hear yourself different than how other people hear you because you're hearing it through a different way. Well, it's by these bones that we're able to hear. If there's something wrong with those bones inside of the ear, you can no longer hear. And so this is more pictorial language, trying to understand the relationship that God has broken the bones. And because of that, you can't hear gladness. You can't hear the beautiful music. You can't hear the rejoicing. Why? Because your bones are broken. Because you're miserable. Because you're under the chastisement of the Lord and that you can't hear the good things that are going on around you. God's blessings. In Psalm 51, we know that David was a child of God and that he sinned. What is the heavenly father to do with a child that is sin? Well, broken <coughs> communication with God is part of the consequences of sin. That if you sin... Sin puts a wedge in between us and God. It breaks that fellowship. It's almost, for example, a son who takes um, and balls up his fist and whacks dad in the face. Their relationship doesn't change, but that fellowship is broken at the moment. Sin puts a wedge between us and God. And that wedge makes us so we can't hear God. We're no longer close to him. David one time knew what it was like to walk close with the Lord. He knew what it was like to be near the Lord. He knew what it was like to have sweet fellowship with the Lord. But now it's not there. And he's recognizing, Lord, I want to have 
that joy and that gladness that comes with being with you. If you don't mind, let's walk through and let's hit some of the principles here. First of all, let's describe our hurt. Our hurt. In Psalm 51, David says, my bones are broken. Again, in verse number 8, make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. He's saying, my bones are broken. Now, when you have a broken bone, it's not just a, 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 a flesh wound. When you have a broken bone, it's not just a scratch. When you have a broken bone, it's something that's broken in the inside, right? For those of you who have had broken bones before, it's something that's broken in the inside. But we know that your bone structure is the framework of your body. That it keeps your shape. It keeps you for who you are. It keeps you having the form. And without your bones, you'd just be a big puddle of jelly. And so if there's something wrong with your bones, there's something wrong with your foundation. Something wrong with your structure. Something that's wrong deep in the inside. David is crying, my framework is crushed. My foundation is crushed. My bones are broken. I know that you, God, have crushed me. You've crushed me. You know, there's something about this crushing idea. A rose has a beautiful fragrance, but that fragrance is more intensified when it is crushed, a more of a sweet savor. There are some times that God, in order to make us to the people that we ought to be, that we have to be crushed. Notice this. It says bones are, broken bones are painful. For those of you with broken bones, they're not the pleasant feeling But Satan promotes the idea that sin is fun. Come on, you go ahead and do this sin, you'll have fun. But when the consequences hit, you realize that it wasn't worth it at all. If you had the choice of doing a sin and getting a broken bone, well, it doesn't seem like it's worth it. But Satan doesn't tell you about the consequences. He says it's going to be fun. All that time in a cast, if you broke your arm, that's not fun. It's a limitation. There are things there. That sin is not fun. When David entertains the idea of getting involved with Bathsheba and committing adultery with her, he thought it would be fun. He thought it would bring him great pleasure. But that pleasure only lasted for a season. And then it was gone. And when that pleasure was gone, it left a bunch of consequences. When that season, to take the season over, that season of pleasure, then God had to get David's attention, and he crushed, he broke David's bones. He had to deal with David. So now David's crying, my bones are broken. I can no longer hear God's voice. The framework of this strong and mighty man, the king of Israel was broken. And whenever we sin, the same thing occurs. There's a hurt that occurs because of sin. So we start off with the idea of our hurt. But then it brings us to this, our help. Our help. The same thing that hurts us also helps us. Now, who broke David's bones? God did. Thou has broken my bones. But who's the one that helps? God does. God does. You know, so many Christians' lives are like an improperly set bone. If you broke your bone, they have to set it right. They have to put it in the right place so it grows together. If it's not set right, then it could cause problems if the bones don't line up, if the things don't work. Many Christians' lives are just like that, an improperly set bone. We have broken bones because of our sins, and then we haven't cared for them properly. 
because we've not taken it to the Lord to help us. We've tried to fix it ourselves, and then the bone doesn't heal right. And we still have issues with it because of it. It hurts. <laughs> so let's say that someone has a broken leg and they didn't set it right. So now the bone is growing kind of at a different angle. You know what the doctors are going to have to do in order to fix it? Break the bone again. And so when we try to, we have a broken bone, we have consequences of sin, we try to set it ourselves, I got this, I'll fix it ourselves. What happens is that it doesn't set right, and in order for it to be fixed again, God's going to have to break it again. So you're going to have to break that bone twice to get it to work right. It's almost like you should have got it fixed right in the first place. That would have been the right way to do things. God is our help. God is the one who comes and delivers this. Let me show you this in the book of Psalms. Turn with me to Psalm 119. We're turning back to Psalm 151 here in just a bit. But let's see what is said here in Psalm 119 concerning this same principle. Psalm 119, Psalm 119, and we're going to turn starting at verse number 65. Psalm 119, starting at verse number 65. Notice this, if you don't mind. Psalm 119, verse 65. Thou hast dwelt well with thy servant, O Lord, according to thy word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I have kept thy word. Notice that. He says, before I was afflicted, before I was broken, before I had that bones broken, guess what happened? I went astray. I wandered away. But now that I've been afflicted, now I have kept thy word. According to this psalm right here, what was necessary for the people, for that person, the psalmist, to keep God's word? Affliction. That brokenness. That's what was necessary to keep him going, going the correct way. But before he went through that chastisement, he went his own way. He went astray. Notice as it goes on, 68. Thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in thy law. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. What we see here is he says, God helped me. It was good for you to afflict me. It was good that God afflict me. Because now I know the Bible. Now I follow God. Now I hear that beautiful music. But it was necessary for me to be afflicted. You understand that we see God's help here. That it was good for God to allow consequences in David's life. It was good for him to do that. Notice with me in verse 75. I know, O Lord, that thou judgments are right. And that thou in faithfulness has afflicted me. Here we have that principle again. That thou <coughs> in, the, in faithfulness has afflicted me. He is saying God is good to afflict us. That God was faithful to afflict us. That it was necessary. You see we have this principle here. That God cares for us. And that God has allowed consequences in our life. 
to realize that we did wrong and to bring us back to him. He is our help and it is God that helps us during this time. So we start off with the idea of our hurt. That we sinned and there's consequences for that sin. We see our help that we could see God when he allows his consequences. He's there to help us. He's here to restore us. He's here to bring us back. But we see something else here. Our hearing. Our hearing. Turn back with me, if you don't mind, in Psalm 51. Psalm 51. And notice in verse number 8, the very beginning. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Make me to hear joy and gladness. What did it take for David to see the Lord clearly again? Before he could hear joy and gladness, he had to suffer hurt. He had to recognize that the hurt was there to help him. Now with this, we're going to see a principle. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, chapter number 12. The book of Hebrews, chapter number 12. This is such an important principle. This lesson today could be a great help and a source of encouragement and a great idea to see how much God truly loves us. Turn with me to Psalm 12. Psalm 12, and notice with me, as we're going to read through this passage here, notice with me Psalm 12, notice with me starting at verse number 3. Psalm 12, or sorry, sorry, Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12, that was my fault, Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12, which is towards the end of the Bible, Revelation, Jude, 3 John, 2 John, 1 John, 2 Peter, 1 Peter, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter number 12. Notice with me in verse number 3. Hebrews 12, verse number 3. For consider him that endureth such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. So here it's talking about that we're supposed to be looking unto Jesus. That Jesus was able to take the suffering and shame, and he did it for the joy of the cross. But notice as it goes on, verse 4. Ye have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as children. My son, despise thou not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Notice what it's saying here. That the Heavenly Father wants us to hear his voice. He wants us to know him. But notice this. He says, when... When you have forgotten the exhortation which he speaketh, or and ye have forgotten the exhortation which he speaketh unto you as children. So we're God's children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord. What does that word despise mean? You guys tell me. Not like, it goes even further than that, hates. I despise. Here, what are we not supposed to despise? The chastening of the Lord. You guys speak to me. What does chastening mean? Punishment. punishment. Not exactly punishment, but more the idea of correction through the idea of means. If we would say it in more colloquial terms, take them outside by the woodshed. That because God loves us, he will take and spank us. And the Bible says, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. So let's say that we have a father who has a child that has sinned, that has lied, that has done something bad, all right? And so the parent takes the child and he takes him outside the woodshed 
and he chastens the child. Does the parent do that because he hates the child? Let me show you this. I hate you. I can't stand what you did. Is that what the parent's doing it for? Why does the parent chasten the child? Because he loves them. All right? And so it is out of love that a father will spank a child. And so because of that, the reminder is to the children, that's us, do we still sin as adults? Yes. And so God will sometimes take us outside the woodshed. And so the Bible says don't despise the chastening of the Lord. When God takes us to the woodshed, it's because he loves us. But, of course, the idea of pride gets in for us, and we get mad at God because there's consequences. Have you ever been mad at your parents for a spanking? Well, the Bible says we're not supposed to because they love us. Notice as it goes on in verse 5, And ye have, not forgot, uh, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as children. My son, despise the, not thou the chastening of the Lord, notice this, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Remember that word faint is a biblical word. It carries the idea of quit. Fine, if that's how you're going to treat me, I'm not going to be part of here anymore. Have you ever seen some teenager get mad at his parents and say, listen here, if I'm going to have this chest, uh, if I'm going to get spanked, if I'm going to have this, then I'm just, I quit. I'm going to go somewhere else. Well, is that the best thing for the child? No. No. But we understand there are some people get mad at God because there's consequences. All right? So they steal a cookie for the cookie jar, and then there's punishment, and then they get mad at their parents because there's a punishment. Sounds like it's just like a child, right? But you understand that God loves us. That's why he's chastening us. That's one verse. Notice as we go on see some more. Verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Notice this, for the Lord loveth, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasten. You know, it is because God loves you, he spanks you. And every one of his children, he spanks, he scourges, who he receives. That means that if you do something wrong, God loves you enough to spank you. Think about this, that God will not stand by and watch his children destroy himself. God loves us too much for that. So think about David. David has committed adultery. He's tried to cover it up, and he's committed murder. Can God allow him to continue in that state if he refuses to get right? No, God loves him too much for that. What would happen if God did not correct that behavior? Wouldn't that allow more of that behavior to go on? Absolutely. God loves David too much to allow him to continue in that state. You know, if a child has a problem with lying, do you think that a, parents, a parent doesn't want to spank their child? They don't want to, but they do it because they have to. They, they, they have to correct that child some way. They have to get the child to stop lying. Because what happens if that's not corrected? Then they'll develop the habit of lying for all of their life. Right? Is that good for them? No. What happens if a child has a problem cheating? So they cheat everything, every chance they get. It doesn't matter if it's a test or if it's tiddlywinks. They cheat all the time. Doesn't that behavior need to be stopped? Because we don't want that child to grow up cheating in everything they do, whether it's taxes or on the job or anything. They don't want them doing that. Does that make sense? 
If a child has a problem with dishonesty, if a problem has a child with laziness, think about laziness. Is laziness a sin? It is. So what happens if a child grows up never being corrected about laziness? They're going to grow up with that same effect in them. And it's going to hurt them. You understand? It is because a parent loves them, he's trying to correct their behavior. And so as a child's response, we are supposed to respond well to the chastisement, realizing that it's coming out of a place of love. Because my parent loves me, they're not allowing me to get away with this behavior. You know, <laughs> you could write this down somewhere. You could always tell a lot about a person by how they receive rebuke. You can tell a lot about a person by how they, re how they receive rebuke. You could tell a lot about a person by how they receive rebuke. All right, let's see if we can understand this, all right? So, I, authority goes to a person, whether it's a parent uh, going to a child, a pastor going to a um, to a, per, a church member, a police officer going to a suspect. Doesn't matter what it is. So let's think about this. And the authority says, listen, you did wrong. And the person responds, yeah, but everyone else is doing that. Is that the proper way to respond? No. You've learned quite a bit about a person by how they receive rebuke. It doesn't matter what everyone else does. You are the one that's being corrected. That's something called deference. <laughs> it's a big fancy term. That means you're trying to defer the, the spotlight from you to someone else. That's pride. That shows that you don't have a heart of rebuke. You don't have a heart of thankfulness. You don't have a heart to allow someone to correct you. Does that make sense? Then we have deflection. All right? Deflection means that you're trying to deflect it off. Normally, you try to blame someone else. Oh, yeah? Well, you know, when you did this, is, a, is human authority always correct? No. Do we all have issues? Yes. However, when I'm working with someone, it's not the time to point out all the stuff that I've done, right? You don't throw it in someone else's face. Husband and wives are good at this, right? The husband may say, honey, we need to do this. Oh, yeah, you scumbag, you remember when you did this? <laughs> That's not the time to do that. You learn a lot about a person by how well they respond to authority, how well they respond to rebuke. You did this wrong. The best thing to always say is, thank you for pointing that out. I'll work on that. And be honest when you say that. Because you realize if someone cares enough to point something out to you, it's because they do it out of love. You know, most people are afraid to tell someone else that they're doing something wrong because they're afraid how they're going to respond, even if it's something little. For example, uh, you know, and our pride acts up, all right? I'm not perfect. Let's say that I ate a meal. We like to eat. And then I'm getting ready to go to another meeting. And I'm kissing my wife goodbye. And she goes, wait, you got something in your teeth. Does she hate me by saying that? No. But do we sometimes get mad? What are you talking about? Do we get mad at sometimes for people pointing something out? That's because there's something wrong with us. If we, don't, if we get to the place where we 
No one likes being spanked, but if we appreciate being chastised, if we appreciate being rebuked because we realize people are helping us, then we're going to be helped a lot more by others. You understand this principle? So <laughs> a parent's not trying to pick on a child by pointing out things. They're trying to help them out. But it's stinking rotten pride that we rebel at rebuke, but that speaks more about us than anything else by how we respond. That's why the Bible says, despise not the chastening of the Lord. Don't despise it. Don't arch up in pride. Don't say, nah, I'm perfect. I don't see what you're talking about. You know, we all, all of us, have things in our life that we can't see, but everyone else sees very clearly. We all have blind spots. We all have things that we think we're doing right. But it's not right. But we don't see it. That's why someone needs to point out to us. Love us enough to say, hey, you know what? Your thinking is wrong in this. Hey, you know what? You're not doing this right. And we need to be <laughs> respond well enough that we accept the rebuke from those that love us, those that are in authority. Right? Notice as it goes on in verse number 7. If you endure chastening, God dwelleth with you as sons. For what son is he whom the father chasten not? It means if you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as a son. You know, there's an idea of a respect there. That a father loves his child. And that if you respond well, it's going to please God. And God says, all right, we can have this relationship. You know, <laughs> some of you aren't parents yet. One day you're going to get to there when you get frustrated that your kids aren't listening to you. You're trying to help you. You're trying to help. And you're trying to help. And that relationship changes. I don't care what you say, old man. I'm doing whatever I want. Well, then that fellowship changes dynamic a little bit now. Now things have to change because you want to fight back. There we go. You know, same thing with husbands and wives. It's a little bit different dynamic. But there's something about it that men, we fight. And so if a lady wants to arch her back and wants to fight, well, all right, we're going to fight. But if a lady breaks down and starts crying, now we no longer want to fight. We want to protect. Does that make sense? There's just something about that. So if a father is trying to discipline their child and their child says, listen here, old man, we're going to fight. All right, well, if that's what you want, there's just something about that. Does that make sense? The dynamic changes a little bit. But if a child responds to that biblical authority and says, I know that you're looking for, for my best interest. That relationship of a father and son is closer than ever. There's a trust there. That's what God is saying here. That if you respond, if you endure a chastening, then he responds to you as a father with his son. There's a relationship. There's a respect. There's a dynamic there that God wants to have. Notice as it goes on in verse number 8. But, but, if you be without chastement, what are, uh, wherefore all, excuse me, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. Verse number eight says, if you don't get a spanking after doing something wrong, then you're not one of God's children. That's simple as it is. So someone who has a habit of lying and God doesn't fix that, they're not one of God's children. If someone has a problem of disrespecting, God does not fix that, you're not one of his children. It is not my responsibility to spank the neighbor's kids, right? I don't have enough time to go spank all the neighbor's kids. God will only deal with his children. 
And so someone can say, hey, sure, I'm saved. I made a prayer. I made a profession of faith. But if God doesn't discipline you when you do wrong, you're not one of God's children. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Because God will love his children too much to allow them to get away with sin. Notice as it goes on, verse number 9. Where are furthermore, when we had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, we gave them reverence. That means honor and respect. <laughs> Why wouldn't we turn around and, do, and give God honor and respect? Just us stupid rebellious people who get mad at God. Why aren't things working out right? Well, could it be perhaps that there's something that needs to be fixed in your life? No, I'm perfect. All right, well... <laughs> That's not how we treat our children, our dads, right? I like to see that happen in a lot of households where discipline is done correctly, right? You say, son, did you do this? Yes, but you can't do anything about it because I'm perfect. Just leave me alone. See how well that goes, right? It wouldn't go well in the house that I grew up in. I don't know about yours, but it doesn't work out that well, right? Notice as it goes on, verse number nine. Furthermore, when we had fathers of our flesh which corrected us we gave them reverence shall we not much rather be in subjection under the father of spirits and live wouldn't it be better to be on god's good side and give him respect rather than being god's bad side notice in verse 10 for the very uh, verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Notice this, but he for our profit. Do you know that why God chastens us? Because it's good for us. The word profit means it's going to benefit us. He chastens us because he wants the best for us. It is for our good for, that he corrects us. Verse number 11. Now, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous. Meaning that no one volunteers to say, hey, I want a spanking today. I want, man, that's what I want. That, that sounds wonderful. Right? My kids sound, no. No one says, I want to be chastened. Nobody in their right mind says, you know what? I have, it's been a while since I've had a good old-fashioned spanking, man. Just line it up. I need that for today. That, that sounds like a wonderful thing. Nobody, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. And spankings, chastening should be a grievous thing, right? It should be like Christmas, met with anticipation and much, much thought, right? And then it's delivered. Nevertheless, afterward, it yielded the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Notice this. Now, I say this, and it may not make sense to some people because we understand that Discipline is not often done correctly. Inside of a Christian home that does things correctly, there should be a process of it. For example, you should never spank out of anger. God doesn't spank out of anger. It should always be done for the purpose of chastening. If a parent is too angry to spank, let them take a break. Take care of the child in just a little bit once they've calmed down. But when they take the child, the first thing we're looking for is confession. Did you do this? Yes. Because we understand that confession is a big thing. Now, when we're getting a child to confess, we're not getting them to tell them on themselves. We don't want them to admit what they did wrong. Why? Because we want them to associate what they did wrong with a chastisement. If somebody doesn't know what they did wrong, chastisement doesn't do anything. Does it make sense? 
So <laughs> they confess. And then we spank them. We chastise them, which is a proper purpose. I won't go through that. But afterwards, when we're done, we look at them and say, I love you. Did you understand what you did wrong? Yes. This is taking care of. And that's an important thing. This is taking care of. We're not going to go call all the neighbors. We're not going to tell all the church people. It's done and over with. I forgive you. It will never be brought up again. And we should be teaching our kids forgiveness. We should be teaching them that this is a loving thing. And when the chastisement is done, notice what happens. It yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. That if it is done right, it doesn't promote rebellion. It promotes love. It promotes righteousness and holiness because their, their behavior is corrected, their attitudes are right, and they love the authority who's given it to them. There's a peaceable fruit that hits there. Remember what we were talking about before? That David said, let me hear this beautiful music again. He says, I can't hear it because of sin. But afterwards, I can hear that beautiful music. I could praise my heavenly father and say he is good and that he's right. After that chastisement is over with. The peaceable fruit. Wherefore lift up holy hands which hang down and the feeble knees. And to make straight paths for your feet. Lest them which are lame be turned out of the way. And that it, <laughs> let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men in holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up into you, thereby many be defiled. So again, we're trying to take care of the idea of forgiveness during this idea here. So no root of bitterness. You know, sometimes because chastisement isn't done correctly, and forgiveness isn't taught, that the person begins to despise the person who gave them the spanking. Now they can no longer rejoice. Now they look at that authority with disrespect. You know that's why a lot of people hate God. Because he took them out to the woodshed. He tried to correct their behavior. And they hated him for that. You know why some people don't like authority in their life? They hate authority. Because the forgiveness isn't there. Because they didn't respond well. You can tell a lot about a person. By how they accept rebuke. That when authority is trying to help someone else, whether it's God or someone else, it is a loving idea. And it's there to help us. And we need to respond well to authority. Because, so we can hear the beautiful music. Notice as we go back to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. And verse number 8. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. He said, God, I'm wrong. You're right. Thank you for what you've done in my life. You've broken my bones. You fixed them and you're healing them. And I want to get to the place where I can hear your beautiful music again. I want to have that relationship with you. I want to have that fellowship again. And I want to thank you for breaking my bones. You did what was right. You did what was necessary. I want to hear that beautiful music again. Again, God will not stand by and watch his children destroy himself. He loves us too much for that. 
Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920-530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.